The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Thank you very much, Quishock. Time now for another edition of In Our Defence, where In Gavin Dowd tells us all about a case from Irish legal history. May seem like a peculiarity on the face of it, but these cases have ramifications that live with us right down to the present day. So, Gavin, what are we talking about this week? Our story, Kieran, begins in 1981 on a farm in Ballydean near Carrick and Shura County, Tipperary. And it's the farm that belongs to John Hanrahan. It's a 264-acre farm, but something unusual has been happening in this small town. One evening, he comes down to his uh, to his cattle shed, goes into the shed, and he notices his cattle sniffing up into the air. They, they've never really done this before. And one by one, they bolt to the end of the shed, whereupon they climb on top of each other and pile on each other up to 15 feet high, uh, filling the entire shed. He's never seen anything like this. He's seen a few of his cattle become distressed and sick, but he doesn't know what's happening. Uh, Fast fast forward two years, 114 of those cattle have passed away in suspicious circumstances. At the same time, an unpleasant smell is developing in the area, and some of the neighbours aren't even able to keep their windows open in their house. It's that bad. And... Um, John Hanrahan hasn't been feeling too well. He's been experiencing a burning sensation in his chest, had irritated skin, gone to uh, a consultant about it, and the consultant uh, has uh, diagnosed him with mild hypochloronic acidosis, uh, which is a condition which you would get from exposure to solvents and chemicals. Now, John Hanrahan has his theories about why all these things are happening. Just a couple of years before, in this gorgeous pastoral uh, valley in near Carrickenshire, uh, a factory has been built. That factory belongs to Merck Sharp and Dome, a big American pharma company, and it has been emitting fumes into the area, as factories do, of course. And he attributes all this damage to his health, to his cattle's health, and the smell that's in the area to this factory. And he decides to sue Merck Sharp and Dome. Okay, so uh, a couple of things here. I suppose he has to try to link the damage done uh, to to his cattle, to his family, to the factory. How does he go about doing that? Well, this is the difficult thing because the council investigate it and they say, well, it's actually down to your farming, uh, John Hanrahan. That's why the cattle are, are dying, your mismanagement of your farm. Merck, look into us. They say it's down to your farming as well. It's nothing to do with us. And a study is commissioned by Onforis Forberha, this government agency, this environmental agency, and they found that there was no serious evidence of air pollution from the particular factory. But John is determined. To, he's lost nearly 200 catalysts at this stage. Mm. The, the bodies are literally piling up. So he goes to the high court. And this is the key thing, as you said, Kieran. How does he attribute it directly uh, to, the, uh, to the factory emissions? And in the high court, Justice Ronan Keane found that it was not proven, he didn't prove it to the right standards, that all this uh, all this suffering had been caused by the factory emissions. Now, he faces a legal bill of £1 million, which is colossal at the time. Yeah. He faces losing his farm, his family home. So what do you do in that situation? You appeal the judgment and go to the Supreme Court. It just crossing your fingers that hopefully you can win the case and you'll be able to get your legal costs covered at the very least. So as I said, there were three issues that he had uh, complaints with. His health complaints, Mm -hmm. the damage to his livestock and the smell that's uh, this putrid smell that's caused uh, around the area, which has been described. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this smell that I'm going to describe. When a blacksmith puts a hot iron on a horse's hoof. Right. Okay. I, I, it's very specific. I can't say I, I have um, uh, ever smelled that, so I will just imagine that it doesn't just, smell good. Just imagine that it's awful. The neighbours have to keep the windows closed. 
And uh, the uh, case swings in his favour in the Supreme Court, but he's relying on the law of nuisance. Now, nuisance is when someone does something which interferes with your enjoyment of the property. So if someone is, I don't know, playing a drum kit very loudly or has set up a, a massive sound system peering into your garden and is playing music at all times of the day or night, or if, let's say, you live next to a shop that's running 24 hours and there's deliveries coming in all day and night and you can't get to sleep. These are typical examples of nuisance. Uh, But he was arguing the air pollution was causing Mm. nuisance to his enjoyment of the land. And uh, the Supreme Court ultimately sided with him because they said the doctor's evidence about his health, ultimately on the balance of probabilities, which means it was more likely than not that the factory's emissions were causing damage to his health. And then they looked at other evidence. They said in, in terms of his cattle, five vets came along and said the... Uh, suffering of these animals is consistent with solvent poisoning to uh, to these animals. The animals had been very healthy up until the factory was built and started polluting. And uh, the a, a key issue here was that the incinerator in the factory, which was burning up the toxic chemicals that were the byproduct of yeah. producing the pharma, uh, that it was run at below the recommended temperature. And as a, as a result of that, damage to animals' health was highly likely. That was unsafe, essentially. So he wins his case in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court sent it back down to the High Court. Yes. If you'll excuse the, the convoluted legal nature of these things. And the High Court is to decide damages. Now, it ultimately settles. We don't know how much he right. got. It's estimated at maybe £2 million. But given the fact that he's had legal bills of £1 million after after the first case, mm. it's, it's quite possible that they ate into a lot of what he ultimately Got. But the legacy of this case is really, really important because I think this is a great story of, number one, it's an underdog story. Yes. You've got a pharma t- uh, farmer taking on pharma. Uh, number two, it's, I guess, a, a story of two different Irelands. You've got the traditional rural farming Ireland versus the IDA uh, Dublin-centric Ireland, which wants to put factories and industry in yes. every corner of the country. Uh, so it was a small farmer taking on you know, the might of of uh, a billion dollar corporation and ultimately winning. But the legacy of this is quite significant because this put a huge amount of public pressure on on the government to take seriously pollution from factories in our manufacturing industry. Yeah. And the EPA was was set up, the Irish uh, Environmental Protection yeah, Agency was it, set up in it, the aftermath. Because the facts as you described them, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't speak to a very robust uh, system of oversight given that the county council, the local authority and another state body both went in, did an investigation and said, nah, there's nothing to see here. It's all perfectly fine. Exactly. But quite obviously it wasn't. Exactly. And look, you know, if you want to be conspiratorial, you can, but I mean... Everyone else had a vested interest in the factory continuing its operations as it was as it was going on, uh, and they very much uh, ostracised uh, jo- uh, John Hanrahan and the locals who were complaining about the factory. And they said, you know, these are your concerns and your health issues are nothing to do with our factory. Yeah, yet. and I understand actually one of the individuals uh, who, who uh, kind of would say orchestrated that dismissal uh, in a media sense, none other than Frank Dunlop. Mm, yeah, and uh, and <laughs> I, th- I don't think they. I, I knew who Frank Dunlop really was at the time, but Not it was only... Not many of us did. We all did subsequently. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so he, he was uh, one of the guys who put uh, uh, had a massive lobbying campaign, obviously on behalf of Merck, and uh, really made this family's life hell. Yeah, as they describe it. Uh, so listen, they were ultimately successful, as you say. Uh, uh, you know, a couple of million quid is a lot back then, but uh, their legal fees w- would have eaten into a lot of it. And the, the, the health damage, I suppose, is unquantifiable, really, yes. you know? Yeah, you'd imagine that it, that might be a more costly suit were it to happen uh, today rather than uh, in the uh, early 80s. For what it's worth, uh, 
MSD, I think as we call them now. That, that factory is still going in Ballydown. Huge, huge operation uh, and employs a lot of people. And it is much more rigorous, uh, the oversight that exists today. Listen, our legal question of the week. How does a judge decide for how long someone should be sentenced to prison? Yeah, this is really where the, the scales of justice are are weighed up. And first of all, you look at the particular offence. Some offences will have a mandatory minimum sentence. If you murder somebody, uh, you're going to prison for life. That's that. A lot of other offences will have maximum sentences. So that's kind of a, a scale or a, a threshold against which the judge can, uh, can decide how long someone should be uh, in prison or sentenced for. And then they take into account mitigating factors, like if the person pleaded guilty, if they cooperated with the guardie, or aggravating factors if somebody had lied to the guardie in the statement, or if somebody had been particularly, I don't know, gratuitous in their, their use of force or or aggression. So yeah, it, it's really down to the judge weighing up all these factors and then delivers a sentence. And of course, part of that sentence can be then suspended, meaning that you don't actually... Or in its entirety, it can, meaning that the person doesn't actually go to prison. Yeah, so there's huge discretion for the judge. And despite the fact that we have those mandatory minimum sentencing, I mean, there would be constitutional difficulties were you to try and tie the judge's hands. There is a separation of powers argument there, isn't there? Absolutely. Absolutely, there is. And there have been uh, challenges to this lately about uh, whether or not yeah, you, you can tell judges what to do yeah, in law, basically. Exactly, you, you can't. Uh, is the long and the short of it. Listen, Gavin, an absolute pleasure. What are we talking about next week? Next week, Port Marnock Golf Club. Oh, yeah. Now, for many, many years, it had an admissions policy that it would only make men full-time members. They were sued by the Equality Authority. They went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, that's okay. All right, we're going to get into the detail of that next week, find out exactly why that was okay, according to the Supreme Court. Gavin Dowd, with the latest edition of In Our Defence, you can listen back to all previous editions. They're on the Newstalk app, just subscribe to The Hard Shoulder and you won't miss out. Gavin, we'll talk to you. Uh, then we will talk to another Gavin, Gavin McLaughlin. He'll have all your business news next. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.